Let's turn to our Bibles, Second Chronicles chapter number 18. Second Chronicles 18, let me also extend to you a warm welcome from my heart. I'm thrilled that you're here today and excited for what God is going to do. Amen. And looking forward to that good lunch that we're going to have here in a little while. A lot of work and labor has gone into it, and uh, I know that that's going to be delicious, and I appreciate so much the labor and hard work of those that have already been laboring to prepare and are even this morning. There's a few folks you look around you won't see. They're over there laboring and working, and I appreciate them, and uh, I trust that God will bless them. One of the little instructions I'll give you before we get over there, when you get through the door, somebody's going to hand you a little orange ticket, and uh, that has no monetary value. Somebody say amen to that. That's not going to, it won't buy you even a cup of coffee, amen. But what that is for is uh, after we've all eaten lunch, we're going to let folks vote on what was their favorite uh, item that they ate, their favorite barbecue. And so we'll put little cups out, and we're just going to do it kind of by person. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, different fellas uh, work and cook different things, and we're just going to say, well, we're voting for so-and-so's barbecue, whatever that might be. So we'll put that out there, and uh, we'll let you know when it's time to do that. But hang on to that little orange ticket. Uh, or uh, it may not matter. Me and Brother Fred were talking. He's got to roll a ticket, so it really may not matter. Amen. And uh, there's a lot we could say about our society right now. Amen. I'm not sure how much it all matters when you ain't got the roll of tickets, but uh, I'm I'm thankful that uh, that we still have the opportunity to cast our ticket in the cup anyway. Second Chronicles chapter number 18. I'd like to begin reading at verse 28 to give you a little idea of what's going on. Uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and, uh, and Ahab, the king of Israel, they have joined in confederacy to go and fight against the king of Syria. And so they are present at the battlefield. And the Bible says in verse 28, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and will go to the battle. But put thou on thy robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, And they went to the battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots that were with him, saying, Fight ye not with small or great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they compassed him about about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. For it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Therefore he said to his chariot man, Turn thine hand that thou mayest carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, howbeit the king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Syrians until even. And about the time of the going down, he died. About the time of the sun going down, he died. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this opportunity to be here in this place. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's gathered here and what freedom that we enjoy in this country. They've come to worship. Lord, they've come to hear from you. And I do not take lightly that responsibility. So I pray that this morning that we would yield ourselves unto you I pray that I'd yield myself in the preaching, that they'd yield in the listening. And Lord, that we would allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we need you. and We desperately must hear from you today. So help us, Father, to have listening hearts and listening ears and obedient hearts as we receive the Word of God. 
Lord, I don't know, but there could be somebody here lost, undone without Christ. And I pray that the gospel would find an entrance into their heart and mind this morning. I pray that they'd see the truth and reality of it and respond in obedience to the gospel and believing on Jesus Christ. Lord, whatever transpires today, we're going to commit it to your care, confessing our weakness and our ineffectiveness, our inability and our desperate need of you. Now, Lord, we give you praise for what you're going to do, and we thank you for it. I pray that you'd bless our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Second Chronicles chapter 18 presents to us a battlefield scene. In many ways, this scene is decades in the making. For God is executing judgment upon the house of Ahab, who was a wicked king in Israel. But when we read this passage of Scripture, I'm struck by the similarities between their situation and ours. Now, you might say, well, preacher, I don't see any similarities. We're not joined together uh, with uh, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and standing on a battlefield in Ramoth-Gilead and, and staring down the Syrian host. And that's quite true. We're not in the exact same circumstances, but there are some similarities with our situation. This passage really has more in common with our lives than we might think. Did you know that over and over and over again in the New Testament, the Christian life is described as a battle scene? For instance, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 commands us to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. A man puts armor on when he's going out to battle. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, Paul wrote to Timothy, And he said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest by them mightest war a good warfare. That's how he described the Christian life and serving God as a good warfare. He wrote to Timothy again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You're familiar with this verse, no doubt. When he told the young preacher, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Far as we know, Timothy had no military experience or background. He wasn't enlisted in the Roman army. He was not commissioned on a battlefield. And yet Paul describes Timothy's life and work as being a battlefield, as being a warfare. Paul described himself in those terms in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You say, preacher, what are you getting at this morning? I'm saying this, living for Jesus Christ is a spiritual warfare, just as real and just as literal as physical warfare is. You commit yourself to live for Jesus Christ, you'll find yourself in battles. You make up your mind to stand for God, you'll find yourself in paddles. If you start living like a Christian, I promise you, you won't have to seek out a foe. The foe will come looking for you, and there will be battles in your life. The Christian life, as the songwriter said, it's not a recreation field, it's a battlefield. And as such, when I read this passage of Scripture, I am immediately and, and, and shockingly arrested and gripped by the imagery of this man standing on the battlefield facing down foes that have beset him all around. Now, obviously, Ahab understood the danger that he was in. I sort of chuckle at the uh, conversation he has with Jehoshaphat. He says, now, I'm going to disguise myself, but you put on your kingly robes. I guess he knew something, amen? 
Because as soon as the battle uh, begins to ensue, they begin to pursue Jehoshaphat. And no doubt, Ahab knew that that would be likely. I want you to notice a few things about this battle and about some of the things that transpired. Notice, number one, the precautions that he took. The Bible says in verse 29, The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and will go to the battle, but put thou on thy robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went to the battle. In other words, he realized this was a dangerous scene. Can I tell you, hey, we better wake up and realize there's dangers associated in the Christian life. I don't say that to scare you off of living like a Christian. I don't say that to dissuade you from, uh, you know, living your testimony in front of a broken and hostile world. I just say that to ready you of the fact that you are going, if you live for Jesus Christ, to experience opposition at times. And I see that Ahab, he took precautions against that. But can I notice this? Despite all the precautions he took, still danger came. I noticed the precautions that he took. I noticed the persecution that he drew. Verse 30, the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots that were with him, saying, fight ye not with small or great, save only with the king of Israel. I'm sure Jehoshaphat probably looked at Ahab and thought, son, you're being paranoid. Uh, listen, you, 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 this is a conspiracy that you've got in your mind. You think they're all out to get you. But hey, here was the truth. They were all out to get him. A wise man once said, just because you're paranoid don't mean they ain't out to get you. Amen? And the truth of the matter is this. When you make up your mind to live for Jesus Christ, all the forces of hell will beset themselves against you. It's not by accident. Hey, listen, I was talking to somebody earlier this week and we are talking about things they're experiencing in life. They've gotten serious in their walk with Christ. And I told this person, I said, it's no surprise that that would happen because when we get serious with Jesus Christ, the devil gets serious with us. When we decide we're going to live for Christ, then all of a sudden you say, Preacher, it's like everything just went sideways. It's like it all just fell apart. It's like all the forces of hell mustered against me. Yeah, that's about right. Amen? The reality is this. The persecution was real against Ahab. Uh, They were looking for him. They did have his number. They were targeting him. And when you live for Jesus Christ, you're going to be targeted by the devil, and by ungodliness. I see the persecution that he drew, and then I notice the protection that he saw. Now, this is going to be important here in a moment when we really get into our preaching. The Bible says in verse 31, it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they compassed him about about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God moved them to depart from him. Can I just pause for a moment and say this? You find yourself in a mess, you ought to cry out to the Lord. Hey, listen, this poor man cried unto the Lord, and he delivered him out of all of his troubles. You say, preacher, what do I do when things go sideways? Cry out to the Lord. Preacher, I don't know what to say. It don't matter. Go ahead and cry out to the Lord. Preacher, I might not pray it right. I might not say it right. Well, I got news for you. Ain't none of us really praying right and saying right. If we were really to view this thing through the prism of how God views things, all of our prayers are inadequate. All of them are all thumbs and all confusion. No doubt we often don't know how to pray right about a matter, but I'm glad that the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings and utterings, uh, which cannot be discerned. I'm glad that when I don't know how to pray, He still knows how to hear. Amen. 
And so Jehoshaphat, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord helped him. And God moved them to depart from him. For it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. Now Ahab, no doubt, would have seen or at least been informed of all these things. No doubt he would have been aware that whenever Jehoshaphat cried out to God, that God protected him and God spared him. And probably Ahab thought to himself, maybe I too will escape the battle without injury to myself. But we find in our text that's not what happened. Despite the precautions that Ahab took, he was still wounded in the battle. You know, here's the reality, friends. Sooner or later, we will all suffer an injury in the Christian life. I don't care how careful you are. I don't care how prudent you are. I don't care how thick a skin you think you've got. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come along and hurt you. And I want you to notice how Ahab reacted to this. Verse number 33, the Bible says, A certain man drew a bow at a venture, smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Therefore, he said to his chariot man, Turn thine hand, that thou mayest carry me out of the host. For I am wounded. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. You know, sooner or later in your life, somebody's going to hurt you. And chances are, if you're like most saved people and you're faithful in the house of God and and you go to church and you've got relationships with people in church, uh, there's good likelihood it might just be somebody that calls themselves a Christian. And we better make up our minds right here, right now this morning, that no matter the injuries we take, we ain't going to quit on our captain. No matter what we experience, no matter what we endure, no matter what we suffer, it is still our calling, still our commission, and still our task to stay on the field of battle and to continue to serve Him faithfully. I want you to notice and think with me for a moment about Ahab's decision here. And I want you to notice three thoughts, and then we got barbecue waiting on us, so we we got to hurry, amen. Let me notice number one this morning, the king's wound. The Bible describes it in verse 33, and it's interesting the way the Holy Spirit details what transpired. It says, a certain man, we don't know his name, we don't know his rank, we don't know his skill set. He didn't have to have skill to do what he did. The Bible just says a certain man, nameless, known only to God, a certain man drew a bow at a venture. Now, what does it mean at a venture? It means at a guess. It means on on a chance. It means he wasn't naming it nothing. He was just letting arrows fly and hoping they would find purchase. The Bible says that he smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. You know, in many ways, this reminds me of some of the wounds that we all suffer as we live for Jesus Christ. I tell you this, hey, there ain't no kind of hurt like church hurt. And it's not that it's not that church folks treat us worse than the world treats us. I guess it's just we expect they'll treat us better. And the reality is there's going to be times that people that you have loved, that you have labored for, that you have poured your life into, that you've been a friend to, that you have ministered to, that you've been gracious to, will turn around and be the very ones. Hey, listen, that's what happened with our Savior. Mine own familiar friend with whom I broke bread has lifted up his heel against me. There's going to be times that people that ought to love you instead hurt you. Times when people that ought to protect you instead wound you. And I want you to notice the wound 
that he experienced. Notice number one this morning, the source of the wound. It's almost comical were it not dealing with the realities of a man's life and the details of a man's death. Because what are the chances that this man, completely unknown, he is a faceless individual. We know nothing about him. But as far as we know, he had no personal animus towards Ahab. As far as we know, he was not targeting him. In fact, the Bible says expressly that he was not. He just merely drew a bow and let an arrow go flying. On the face of it, it was just a thoughtless, careless, and seemingly incidental shot. Can I tell you something your flesh don't want to hear? Most of the time, the people that hurt us deepest really weren't even intending to in the first place. I expect it to get quiet on that. It's all right. Just breathe. We'll all work through it together, okay? You know, the truth is, some of the deepest hurts and wounds that I've experienced in my life particularly from God's people, if I look at it in the cold light of day, I have to acknowledge and recognize that it wasn't that they put their sights on me. It was just they got a little loose and reckless in the way they lived, and they just let an arrow go at a venture. We'd all like to believe that we're important enough that they have tracked us down, hunted us down, and shot us down. But the truth is often far from that. Most of the time, it was simple, thoughtless self-interest and selfishness that led to our deepest hurts. I'd like to imagine that I'm such a formidable force for Jesus Christ that these people determined they wanted to wreck me and ruin me. But if I have to be truthful, most of the time it's just somebody firing arrows and not thinking. I see the source of this wound. And can I just pause here for a moment and say this? That's all the more reason we better be careful where we shoot our arrows. It may be thoughtless. Hey, listen, you know, you don't, you don't have to mean to wreck somebody to wreck somebody. You don't have to mean to ruin somebody to ruin somebody. I mean, this fellow had no intention of this. He did not plan this. I'm sure he expected and anticipated and even hoped that it would hit someone. But he wasn't lashing out at a particular person. He was lashing out at any person. Some of the most destructive people I've met in my life are like this man. They just go firing arrows at a venture. Not thinking about the consequences, not contemplating the impact, not considering the damages that it may cause. And listen, God help you and God help me if we go around emptying our quiver out into the open air. You better recognize, man, everything we say, it impacts somebody. Everything we do, it touches somebody's life. Everything that we say, it has an effect far-reaching. I see the source of this wound, but then notice with me the sight of this wound. The Bible says something interesting here in verse 33. It says, it smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Now, what does that phrase, joints of the harness, mean? Well, the harness was a generic term for a person's gear or their kit. In the context of this passage, it's referring to Ahab's armor. And when we realize it's speaking of it as armor, we immediately recognize what it means by the joint of the harness. What it's saying is this. This arrow found purchase in a uh, open spot, in a chink in his armor, in a vulnerable spot where he had no protection. <laughs> Can I tell you the truth of the matter? Most of the time the reason it hurts so bad is it found an open wound in the first place. It's part of the reason, man, we've got to, hey, listen, we, mm, sometimes scars can be tougher than skin. We better let God heal us 
Because if we let those wounds lay open and fester, they become a vulnerable spot wherein we'll continue to draw arrows day by day. I see that this man, when he fired this arrow, had he hit anywhere else? And how many times in your life have you thought to yourself, Lord, if, if, if they hadn't gone after this, Lord, if they hadn't said this, Lord, they said just the wrong thing, or maybe in their mind just the right thing. They found just the button to push. They found just the nerve to touch on. It's no accident. But listen, the enemy knows you. It struck in a joint of his armor where he was vulnerable. And you know, here's the truth. No matter how you protect yourself, sooner or later an arrow will find a vulnerable place in your armor. It's something I had to learn. When you pastor, you deal with people, like it or not. <laughs> and I've dealt with a lot of people over the years. And, and, and sometimes the philosophy is just, well, I'll make my skin so thick they can't touch me. But can I tell you, in my experience, that's a naive perspective. You understand, it's not just them. I mean, hell itself is trying to disarm you. And you understand, and we'll see here in just a moment, there's times God even allows the arrows to strike us. And the fact of the matter is, in your life, if your perspective is, well, it won't touch me, it won't affect me, it won't hurt me, it won't wound me, you can say that all day long. And no doubt Ahab thought that, or he never would have rode into the battle in the first place. But sooner or later, something's going to touch your life that will cut you deep. We better instead learn how to deal with the wounds when they happen rather than assuming we'll never be wounded in the first place. You with me this morning? Get your mind off the barbecue. It'll be there when we're done. Amen? Help me preach a little bit this morning. Hey, sooner or later, it's going to touch your life. I see the source of the wound. I see the side of the wound. But I want you to consider the sovereignty of the wound. So, preacher, what do you mean sovereignty? Well, on the face of it, the arrow looked incidental. I mean, here's this boy that just just draws back his bow, lets one fly, and it just happens to hit Ahab right in the joint of the armor. But how many of you know the Lord enough to know that nothing ever just happens to happen? Nothing ever just takes place without purpose. The, 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 the secular perspective that we're all just sort of cosmic pinballs flying around the machine of the universe, uh, the, that inertia and whim and, and, and serendipitous uh, re- reactions and results are, are what leads to our behavior. My Bible teaches me that's not the case. My Bible teaches me instead that there's a providential sovereign God that sits on the circle of the earth that rules and reigns that appoints and orders things. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that the arrow was not incidental. In fact, when we read the rest of the Word of God about this matter, we learn it was providential. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when you go back a little further, you'll find this, that this was actually the carrying out of the judgment of God in the life of Ahab. That God had had already uh, for uh, ordained and had already declared that because of Ahab's wickedness in stealing Naboth's vineyard, that he would cut off the house of Ahab. And in fact, uh, even in this passage, even in this chapter a little earlier, the word of the Lord is pronounced against Ahab that he'll not return from the battle because of his wickedness and because of his sin in his past. So here's what we learn. You say, and I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying this morning. In Ahab's situation, this wound was the judgment of God. You say, preacher, are you saying when people hurt me, God's judging me? Well, he might be. I'm not saying he won't. But I'm saying we don't know for sure that he is. Here's what we can recognize. If the Lord had wanted to spare you of the arrow, he could have spared you of the arrow. 
Uh, listen, it beggars belief that this man would reach back and fire that arrow and it would find just the right spot. You say, preacher, it's almost like it was done on purpose. Yeah, because it was done on purpose. Here's, uh, I, I, I told you, n- number one truth your flesh didn't want to hear. Here's number two. Are you ready? You don't like this and I don't like this. My flesh doesn't want to hear it any more than yours. But try as we may, we want to lay and impute and, and, and set at the feet the people that have hurt us, them the blame for what has taken place. But the reality is a loving God has permitted all this to happen to us. Next time I have to ask for an amen, I'm taking my barbecue home. All right? Don't think I won't do it. I have every reason to, amen? <laughs> Yeah, some of y'all amen when I said that. Preacher, serious. We better amen him now. (laughs) I don't like it any better than you like it. But the fact is, if God is providential, if he's all powerful, and he is, the Bible teaches he is, then he could have kept every arrow from hitting us, every sword from finding purchase, every spear from finding a place, every wound that has taken place in our life, he could have protected us from but he's not done it because he has purpose in all of it. In the life of Ahab, the purpose was carrying out his judgment. But I'm thankful to report to you, if you're saved by the grace of God, the judgment of God doesn't abide on you. The wrath of God doesn't abide on you. His chastening does, of course, when we live in sin. But more beyond that, hey, listen, his perfecting is at work actively in our life. And and we'd love someone to blame and we'd love someone to vilify and we'd love someone uh, to to be able to, to mark and label as sinister. But the truth is, at the end of the day, you say, preacher, they meant to hurt me. Maybe they did. Preacher, they knew what they was doing. Maybe they did. But you're not certain. Serving them, you're serving a God that loves you. And as such, we are faced with this reality in our life that we can either view it as as being dispensed by the cruelty of man or being dispensed by the faithfulness of God. I see the king's wound in this passage. And then number two, I want you to notice with me the king's flight. Now let me say this before I move on. It wasn't his fault he got wounded, but it was his fault that he quit. It's not his fault that he got wounded. It's not his fault that the arrow found him. We all get wounded. But the question is, what do we do when the wound happens? Notice what he did. Verse 33, Therefore he said to his chariot man, Turn thine hand, that thou mayest carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. We know that he quit on the battle. But what did that look like for him? Well, notice number one, there was a change in direction that happened. He's heading towards the battle. But the moment this injury happens, he hollers up at the fellow driving his chariot and he says, take me another way. I've seen this happen time and again in people's lives. They're faithful. They're serving God. They're living for Christ. And somebody hurts them. Some wound takes place in their life. Some tragedy. Some calamity. And oftentimes they won't come out and say, I'm quitting on God. I'm quitting on church. I'm not going to live for the Lord. I'm angry at God. I'm bitter. They won't say that. Instead, all of a sudden, you just notice a change in direction in their life. Things they used to never would have allowed, now all of a sudden they're allowing. Places they used to never would have gone, now all of a sudden they're going. Things they used to never would have said, now all of a sudden they're saying them. Before he ever left the battle, he first commanded the chariot to turn. You know, the first sign of trouble was a change in direction. 
Probably this man driving the chariot was not aware that Ahab had been shot. You imagine the din and the, and the clamor of battle and, and he's driving a chariot. I mean, I don't know about you, man. I mean, I, I can't even change the radio when I'm driving in Knoxville. Amen. He, he's driving a chariot in battle. And you're telling me he, he probably didn't even know that Ahab had gotten hit. But he knew something was wrong. When the king said, turn this thing around. See, here's the question. If it was the right direction to be going before you got wounded, why did it become the wrong direction after you got wounded? If it was right to live for him before you got wounded, why is it not right to live for him after you get wounded? If it was right to be in the house of God before, why is it not right after? If it was right to read your Bible before, why is it not right after? If it was right to pray before, why is it not right after? One of the first steps to diagnosing some spiritual sickness in our life is just asking this question, man, what direction am I going in? I see there was a change in direction. Then notice number two, there's a change in dedication. He says this, that thou mayest carry me out of the host. Now, that may seem like sort of just boilerplate narrative language. This is what he said. But I want you to try for a moment and position yourself in the context of this passage. When he says the host... He means his generals. When he says the host, he means his friends. He had 70 sons. When he says the host, he means his children. Here's what he was saying. He was saying it ain't about them anymore. Now it's about me. All of a sudden, all that had mattered. Hey, evidently at one time he believed it was worth fighting and dying for. But now that he's wounded... There's been a change in his value system. All of the sudden, where he used to be dedicated to the idea of Israel as a nation, dedicated to the preservation of her sovereignty and the safety of her borders, dedicated to the preservation of her people and their cultural way of life, and all these things that had caused him to put his armor on in the first place, now don't matter anymore that he's gotten wounded. It's amazing, man. I've just, I've known too many people. In my life, and I've seen this too many times, where all these things mattered in their life. Man, it matters to raise my kids for Christ. It matters to be in church. It matters to have a good testimony. It matters to be a witness to my co-workers. It matters to, 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 to be a, a, a good spouse or to be a good parent. It matters. And then all of a sudden they get wounded and then nothing matters. All of a sudden now they're being driven not out of dedication, but out of anxiety and fear. And all of a sudden, the things that did matter to him don't matter anymore. Often a change in direction will be followed by a change in dedication. And I found this to be true, and I'll just say this and move on. I found this to be true in regards to the house of God. Really, this is true of a lot of things in, in your spiritual walk. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll want to read the Bible. The more that you pray, the more you'll want to pray. And can I say this? Hey, listen, it don't take long getting out of church and you'll feel like you don't miss church anymore. That's why it gets easier every time you miss. And you know why? Because despite how maddening God's people can be sometimes, at the end of the day, they're our people. We love them. They're precious to us. And, and, And as we find ourselves in that change in direction, pretty soon, no doubt, he got to where he didn't even think about the people left dying on the battlefield. 
I see a change in direction. I see a change in dedication. But then I want you to notice this last little phrase in verse 33. He says this, for I am wounded. Now that's interesting. On the face of it again, just boilerplate narrative language. This is just what he said to the fella driving his chariot. But I want you to think with me for a moment about what it speaks to on a deeper level. There was a change in direction and a change in dedication. But then notice there's a change in definition. Now all of a sudden, he's not Ahab, now he's wounded. Now all of a sudden, he's not the chief commander on the battlefield, he's wounded. Now all of a sudden, he's not the king over Israel, he's wounded. He's no longer the husband of Jezebel, he's no longer the, 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 the son of Omri, he's no longer the father of those 70 sons. Now... Only one thing matters in his life. He sees himself through one lens, and that's that I'm wounded. You know, the problem when we, and, and we live in a society today that traffics in victimhood. Our political elite have learned that if they can just tell people they're victims, that the dopamine hit that comes, that they, the, the ability to absolve yourself from personal responsibility that comes along with that, the ability to live like a garbage human being and blame the rest of society for that, is worth such a high value that people will literally sign away every freedom and liberty they have if they can wrap and robe themselves in this mantle of victimhood. It's a dangerous drug, friend. And we find that for Ahab, now all of a sudden, everything he was before this moment does not matter. Now only one thing matters. He has only one word for himself. It is not warrior. It is now wounded. A lot of people were wounded on that field of battle that day. I, 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 hmm. Truth number three, that your flesh and mine does not like this morning. You ain't the only person to ever get hurt. I ain't the only person to ever get hurt. We all get hurt. But the question is this. Do we allow the Lord to define that wound or do we allow that wound to define us? Does it become the label of our livelihood? Does it become the character of our person? Does it become the definition of who and what we are? You understand that when you allow that to happen, You're giving yourself a wound that goes deeper than what arrows can pierce. He died in this chariot on this day. I don't want to get ahead in my preaching, but he died in this chariot on this day. And I don't know whether he would have died irrespective of, of, of his leaving the battle or not. We'll never know. Because in Ahab's mind, he was dead the moment he took that arrow. And you know what happens in our life? Very often we allow these wounds to become the defining quality of us. A lot of men died warriors that day. Nobody died of good health. This is part of the reason I just eat like I want. Amen? You're going to die of something. Ain't nobody ever died of good health. Amen? You're going to die of something uh, one way or another. A lot of people died on that battlefield that way. They were warriors. Ahab died and he was wounded. Say, preacher, what's the difference? The difference is in how he perceived himself and how he projected that to those around him. A lot of people took arrows that day, but we don't look at them as cowards. A lot of people took wounds that day, but we don't look at them as quitters. There no doubt were people that died before Ahab ever died, 
but we don't look at them as though there's any shame or disgrace in their death. You see, it was this redefining of himself, this robing of himself in this identity and in this definition that causes us to look at him with such shame. I see the king's wound and the king's flight. Finally, and I'll be done, I want you to notice a word about the king's death. Verse 34 describes it for us. It's a very ignominious death. It's a very uh, just sort of sad and tragic end to this man. He was a wicked man, but he had reigned a long time in Israel. He had been a king. And listen to how he died. The Bible says in verse 34, And the battle increased that day. Howbeit, the king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Syrians until the even. And about the time of the sun going down, he died. It's interesting to note that nowhere in this passage that we have read immediately this morning is Ahab's name ever given. He dies almost in anonymity were it not for the fact that he's the king himself. And just three simple things are noted about his death. Here's the question I have before I preach it. What happens to those that quit? What happens to those that quit? There's people quit on God every day, man. There's been times in my life, I, the, the, if you know the truth of it, man, I'm about like Barney Fife. I got, I got a whole filing cabinet full of resignation letters on God, you know. Lord, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Those that really quit, those that really quit, what, what can we say about them? Well, I want you to notice three things happen. Notice number one, he left the fight, but the fight didn't cease. In fact, verse 34 says the battle increased that day. It didn't get better, it got worse. See, here's what we think. We think if I don't do what I'm doing for God, someone else will do it. If I don't do what I'm doing for God, then, you know, it'll get done. There's no consequence. It doesn't really matter whether I do it or whether I don't. But that's a lie from the devil. That's not true. It is true that God is not without resources. It is true God has the means and ability to accomplish anything that he desires to do so. It is also true that God has chosen to use human agency to accomplish his will within this world. And I'm just telling you, I'm not guilting you, I'm just telling you, what you do matters. And we like to think, well, preacher, if I quit, everything gets better. No, it may get easier for you, but the battle don't stop. You've just quit it. I wonder to myself how many people died because Ahab was not there defending them. I wonder to myself who fell because he forfeit. No doubt he would have made a difference in that battle. I wonder who because his arrows weren't being loosed, because his spear was not being hurled, because his sword was not being swung. No doubt there were people that died that day. There, there, there were families who had no, no daddy and wives who had no husband at the end of this. No doubt there were mothers and fathers that had no, no sons at the end of this. All because they have decided the battle's done, I'm wounded, I quit, I give up. And he turned around and left the fight. But the fight did not stop. And here's the truth. Just because you or I quit on the Lord, that don't mean that the battle stops. All that means is that other people that we could have helped won't get the help. Other people that we could have saved won't get saved. Other people that we could have rescued won't get rescued. Other people whose lives we could have changed, they won't get changed. The battle didn't simply stop because he left. He left the fight, but the fight didn't cease. I see he left the fight. And then I want you to notice the next phrase. The Bible says, how be it. Now, that's not an accidental word. No word in your King James Bible is there by accident. 
how be it. In other words, the battle increased that day. People kept on fighting. Hey, by the way, some of those wounded people kept fighting. There were probably people wounded worse than Ahab that kept fighting that day. There were people that fought. There were people that prevailed. There were people that died. There were people that survived. All this continued on. But what did Ahab do? How be it? In other words, he didn't fight. <laughs> this is what he did. How be it? The king of Israel stayed himself up in his chariot against the Syrians until the evening. Notice two things. Number one, he left the fight. But number two, he lived in fear the rest of his days. The Bible says he holds himself up in his chariot and he sits there quavering, trembling, cowering at the thought that a Syrian would come and find him. You know the problem when we allow our wound to define us? The problem when we allow our victimhood to become a security blanket for us. The, the, the problem when we allow the wound to drive us from the battle is we'll then spend the rest of our days terrified that we might somehow, some way, take another wound. <laughs> it's funny to think about. He's dying. That's what the verse says here in just a moment. He's dying. And his worst fear is that a dying man would take another wound. Can I tell you the truth? Uh, wounds don't matter much to a dead man. When we die to self, when we die to sin, the wounds don't really matter much to a dead man. But can I just frame this a little differently? We're all dying men. I hate to tell you this, I know. I, the, the, listen, you're, you're, the modern medical complexes convince you you're going to live forever, right? And then even if you won't, they'll, they'll download your brain and, and, you know, weird transhuman cult and you know that they'll they'll have you still living they'll have you deep fake ai endorsing the deep faked ai joe biden in 47 years you know <laughs> but i tell you an honest truth we're all dying you have less time today than you had yesterday you will you have less time today than you had yesterday we are all inching closer to death day by day and since we're all inching closer to death, why, though we may be wounded, would we allow the wound to keep us from living and doing something worth doing? That's the problem when we let fear dominate us. It's a cruel master. It'll give us no leeway. It'll give us no room. It won't loosen our bonds. It won't, it won't, un, it won't break our chains. It will always keep us in captivity. And listen, just because we may feel justified in the hurt that we've experienced, that's no excuse to allow ourselves to yield our faith to fear and allow fear to become the dominating force in our life. I've met people like this, man. I mean, you know, you go out door knocking and, and you know, uh, everybody, everybody is saved. <laughs> um, they all say they are, you know. You start asking them what that means and they have no clue what that means. They start spouting weird neo-pagan nonsense. But, uh, you know, you go out and knock on doors, you'll find all kinds of people. And you, you'll say, are you saved? They'll say, yeah, I'm saved. And, and some will even give them a, you a solid testimony. You'll say, well, do you go to church anywhere? I'd like to invite you to my church. So, no, nah, I, don't, I don't do that whole church thing. That's how they'll say it. I don't know what thing they think we're doing that they're not doing anymore. They'll say, I don't do that whole church thing. You know, they'll say things like that. You'll say, well, what happened? They'll say, well, you know, somebody hurt my feelings. Well, somebody said something to me. Well, you know, the preacher got all messed up and so on. You say, preacher, what happened? They allowed a wound to define them, and now they are living the rest of their days in fear that they might someday, somehow, some way, take another wound. 
See, you're either going to face that wound or you're going to live in fear of it. One way or the other. It's either going to define you or you'll allow the Lord to define it. I, I see that he, that he lived in fear. The short time that he lived was spent cowering in fear of another wound. Here's the question. Why not hazard another wound to make a difference? I, I mean, listen, and, and this is, I guess this is part of the reason government is so interested in keeping us all alive is because, you know, once people realize they're dying, they ain't got nothing to lose no more. Amen. And, and I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't say, I'm dying. I'm not going to go out without blooding my sword. I'm not going to go out without emptying my quiver. I'm not going to go out with my spear in my hand. I may be dying, but I'm going to go down fighting. Hey, listen, one day, one day we'll get to lay our sword down. But until that day, we ought to never put it down. One day, B.R. Lake and you say, one day I'll hang my sword on the walls of that shimmering city. One day we will. But until that day, how dare us lay our sword down and live in fear? I see he left the fight and I see that he lived in fear. And then finally, this sad little statement's made about him. It says, about the time of the sun going down, he died. What happened to him, preacher? He died in failure. Instead of dying a hero, he died a disgrace. Not because he was a casualty, but because he was a quitter. You understand, none of us can help getting wounded. But we can all help quitting. God's not angry at us for getting wounded, for getting hurt. It happens. I mean, there's, there's times people get hurt over silly stuff, stuff they have no right getting hurt over. But I don't even know that God's so upset even at that. He knows our frame, that we're dust. He understands man's weakness and man's frailty. But here's what God won't abide. God won't abide somebody just quitting. He died a failure. Because he got wounded? No, because he left the battle. He died a failure, preacher. Why? Because they lost the battle? No, because he left the battle. See, the truth is, whether or not you die as an example of failure or an example of faithfulness really has nothing to do with the measure of success that you experience. It has much more to do with the measure of steadfastness that you exhibit. Are you willing... I was reading an article just this past week about the difference between strength and toughness. We've all known men like this in our life, haven't we? May have not been big men, may have not been strong men, but they're just tough. Man, they had a backbone of, of iron. They had grit in their blood. And, and I will say that as Christians, man, we, we need some tough Christians. We live in too soft of a society. We need some tough Christians. You say, oh, what do you mean, preacher? Folks, get up in somebody's face. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I, listen, I'm, I, I don't, I, I don't, mm, God's not looking for obnoxiousness. He's looking for obedience. The real measure of toughness in the life of the believer is not that they never get wounded, and it sure ain't that they wound other people. It's that when they get wounded, they don't turn around and leave. You're going to get hurt from time to time. If you live for God, you're going to get hurt from time to time. People are going to say things that are thoughtless, things that are unkind. They're going to do things to you that are cruel, that are unnecessary, that are mean. We live in a broken world. And just because a person's saved, it doesn't mean that they are somehow then incapable of hurting you. So the thing in question is not, well, preacher, maybe I might one day I might get hurt. No, you will get hurt if you live for Christ. The question is, what are you going to do when it happens? The problem with Ahab was not that he got wounded. It said he let that wound define him and he quit on the Lord. We ought to make our mind up this morning. Uh, some of us might have some old wounds that we've never let close up. 
it's time to let God close them up. He's the one that binds up our wounds. I like that, don't you? He binds up our wounds. Sometimes I don't know about this whole letting the air get to it thing when you got a wound, you know? I think that's just to sell more band-aids, amen? Here's what the Lord does with our wounds. He binds them up. You know what that means? He closes them up. See, it ain't healed if it ain't closed. You listen to me? It ain't healed if it ain't closed. Some of us need to let the Lord heal some wounds for us. Some of us are facing the prospect. We need to steal our nerve and make up our mind this morning. Some of us might have left the battle at one time or another, and we need to get back in it. But one way or another this morning, I hope no matter what you experience in your Christian life, I hope you'll make your mind up that you ain't going to quit and you ain't going to leave the battle. Let's bow together this morning. Musicians going to play. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord. Uh, let's, we'll even make it a little easier this morning. You, you might be here and you might say, Preacher, uh, the message was not for me, but it did burden my heart for someone in my life that I know because this is them. What you preached about and what you described is them. Somebody hurt them. Somebody was ugly to them. Somebody was mean to them. Maybe some, some calamity happened in their life and they've allowed it to define them. If that's true of somebody you know, why don't you slip out of your seat and come pray for them? I think it would be a good thing just to lift their name up to the Lord and to allow Him to work in their life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.